Script to Screen kicks off the new year the right way as Kenyatta and Mark and I give you our favorite movies of 2022. From small probing documentaries, jumping around the multiverse, and the big budget sequels that brought the crowds back to theaters, 2022 had an impressive slate of works. Enjoy our picks! We'll continue closing the book on 2022 as we cover the box office phenomenon from Pandora, Avatar, next podcast. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum. Peer reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. All right. To start off the new year, I'd like to give an enthusiastic warm welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to the latest episode of Script to Screen, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast, hosted by myself, J.C. Stewart, Kenya Hoskins, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and film lovers perspective on movies, shows, and various other forms of media. When you are giving us a listen, morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues and engage with you on these in-depth discussions on film, TV, streaming, whatever the hell else we'd like to share our thoughts on. I'll start with the intros. I've been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over seven years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer-review the screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm always uh, game for coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. Now, with all that settled, I'll pass it off to my co-organizer and good friend, Kenyatta. Hey, good morning. I'm Kenyatta Hoskins, and I've been a co-organizer for uh, this group for um, about five years. I've been a uh, member at least six maybe um yeah so time flies when you have a fun right and um just uh you know write screenplays and uh check us out on facebook and other streaming platforms like uh instagram and uh we're on youtube and uh you know we have meetings every other saturday and tuesday uh every other saturday from 11 to 1 and on Tuesdays from seven to nine. So if you're a screenwriter, come and join us. We, you will get very, very, very good uh, feedback. So uh, come and join us. And um, I want to pass this next along to Mr. Mark Lydell. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Lydell, longtime Boston educator, lover of film. Um, been with these two doing this podcast uh, for going on. It's getting close to three years, I believe now. It's hard to believe um, this was, you know, something that came about during COVID and have enjoyed, you know, every minute of it. Um, and today, um, well, I just let folks know we're, we're doing uh, the topic of our favorite, not the best, but our favorite movies of 2022. Yes, uh, we are, uh, we're we're happy to bring you this a little bit earlier than uh, last year. We were a little uh, delayed in getting bet, uh, uh, getting our 2021 20, picks in, but uh, this year will be a little bit more timely with it. And uh, yeah, I think it will be definitely a great sort of um, a great year to sort of cover in order to go in the, like, uh, you know, uh, what we really liked and what uh, really uh, we responded to, uh, because I, I personally, I think it was a pretty good year all around for movies, you know, whether that was the big budgeted sort of releases, your Top Guns, Avatars, uh, Batmans, and also the other yeah, smaller fare, like did well, uh, you know, as you know, the theater industry and all under all other sort of industries recover, so to sort of do their pandemic recovery. Um, so yeah, it was a healthier year for both uh, theaters and movies. Uh, and definitely, I think the quality definitely showed up. And I think hopefully we'll be able to show that to you. Um, so yeah, does anybody want to start us off with their uh, sort of uh, sort of uh, on what the, their favorites were? Sure. I, I don't, 
Hold, oh, go ahead, Kenyatta. Go ahead. No, yeah, I didn't, you know, uh, like I was saying uh, before, before we uh, started recording, but uh, I didn't number mine. I do have a number one, a definitive number one, but everything else is not really in order. Uh, I might have some stuff higher on the list, some things in the middle and some, you know, uh, maybe a lower end of the list. So um, I'm going to save my number one for the last thing, but um, let me see, what should I start with? I am going to start with, um, you know, some, I'm going to start with this. Um, maybe this is on the lower end of the list, but Emancipation. Emancipation is... Um, a film with Will Smith and was uh, directed by Antoine Fuqua and is currently streaming on Apple Plus TV. Um, so it's just, uh, it was around Christmas, is Christmas. And um, I know a lot of people talk about they don't want to see any slave movies, but uh, movies about slavery. But, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't uh, discrimi discriminate. The only thing I would say, if you are going to do such a film, where you're going to say different um, than the previous films about this topic, and um, and I know one of the tropes that uh, people don't like is uh, the white savior trope, and also um, you know people complaining about kind of like trauma porn type deal. But basically, uh, this film is, if you're familiar with the famous picture of the guy with the whips on his back, they call it a tree, because uh, the, the patterns of the whips is kind of looks like a tree, uh, so to speak. And that famous picture is the guy that Will Smith is portraying. And he is, so it's his journey from his escape from slavery to all the way to, um, I mean, he's almost getting killed uh, trying to escape and then fighting in um, the war to, you know, to uh, end slavery. And because actually, to be honest with you, uh, the movie starts out when slavery was over. Right. And they, you know, the slaves was like slavery is over, but they uh, the slave, the, the ex-slaves, supposedly ex-slave masters, um, they were acquiescing to the new law of the land and want to continue to uh, continue to um, enslave, you know, the um, the former, you know, supposedly supposed to be former slaves. So, um, yeah, I mean, Antoine Fuqua, I've been a, a fan for a long time, and this is the uh, post-slap uh, <laughs> from the award show uh, with, with Will Smith and and um, I, I, I'm not hearing a lot, a lot of buzz about this. It came out December second, so um, you know the way it was filmed. It was filmed. It looked like it, it, it was an interesting look because it looks like it's black and white, but yet you can see some color here and there. So it's like it was very interesting, you know, uh, cinematography choices that were, uh, uh, um, you know, that they that they chose to use. So um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but that is somewhere on my favorites of 2022. I have not seen uh, Emancipation. I don't have that platform. And with the, the glut of things that are on other platforms I do have, haven't gotten around to seeing that. I'm sure I'll check it out at some point. Um, 
But yeah, I was anxiously hoping to see that film. And then when I heard it was on, you know, Apple TV, I'm like, oh, this is like the platform. And again, with all the other stuff on other platforms, haven't gotten around to borrowing someone's. Oops, I can't say that. Um, go going on seeing it through other means, right? I saw it because there is a free trial. So oh, that's what. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yep. So my thing is this: then, do I wait until there's like, like a whole lot of stuff that I want to see? So I can check out, you know, a number of things on on that platform. So uh, I will check it out. Though I'll I'll figure out how to how to get that uh, free trial and make it work. Um, just like you, Kenyatta. Though I mean, in terms of my list, I I, I didn't rank order them. I think I do have a number one. Um, yeah, I do have a number one, and I'm just gonna just be a fly in the ointment and start with my number one and just mess up the whole process. Um, only because um, I really appreciated this one so much. And for me, um, well, it starts off with um, dialogue, a lengthy bit of dialogue that's got a lot of exposition in it. And, and for me, that's like a no-no that you know, a film would start that way. But um, it, it does a lot to showing who the, the main character is to everyone in society and, and what her role has been and, who she, and how she's kind of uh, risen to prominence. And it gives a lot of information that you need to know. And the movie is, um, I believe it's pretty lengthy. Um, so you didn't want to have to show all of this. Um, and that is, this movie is Tar with uh, Kate Blanchett. Um, that's for me, my number one. I, I'm, I'm going in reverse order, but that was just so impressive that, you know, she was able to inhabit this character who is um, a, a maestro, a conductor of symphony orchestra. And she's just so in command um, the character of the symphony orchestra, but seemingly out of control off of the performance stage um, that, you know, that's just a stark contrast, you know, between someone who knows what she's doing um, is headstrong and, you know, off of the, um, out of the, I would guess you'd say the performance venue, um, things kind of fall apart and she tries to exert control over other parts of her life. And, and this doesn't really work for her. And some things are exposed about, you know, uh, her life, um, throughout the film that really pretty eye opening. And she immerses herself in this character so much that, you know, of course, you know, on the screen, that's Kate Blanchett, but she is the character. I, I've forgotten the character's name, but it doesn't matter because she is that, um, and I just haven't seen a, an actor uh, immerse themselves in a character as well as she has in this film. I, I think it's definitely Oscar worthy. Thank you, Lydia Tarr. I knew the last name was Tarr. I didn't know the first name was Lydia. I've forgotten about that. But uh, so, yeah, for me, that performance is amazing. And to have me sit through, especially the first scene of dialogue, and that kind of sets the tone. We're going to have meaningful dialogue. Um, we do have it. It's it, it, and sometimes it might be a expository, but but um, it will be still an economy of words because what you're doing there is you're you're talking about what's important. You don't have a lot of um, filler kind of dialogue. But anyway, that being said, for me, Tar is not only on my list but is is my top. So uh, I'm gonna be anticlimactic from here. <laughs> 
I'm right with you there, Mark. Uh, yeah, I wish we could. I wish we talk could have talked about this because I definitely think this is one that warrants a ton of discussion. You know, from uh, you know what the, it's trying to get across, and uh, definitely Kate Blanchett's performance uh, first and foremost. Uh, definitely, you know, front runner for her. I don't know, third or fourth. You know, best uh, best uh, lead actress. Uh, you know, statue. Uh, but other than that, you know, it, yeah, it's uh, you know this movie has gotten a lot of you know buzz and you know a lot of. Um, uh print in uh at least a uh, digital print uh because you know it's the cancel culture movie and you know it's the but it takes it you know uh you know it doesn't just you know uh, put um it does, it's not just a lecture on you know one side or the other on on the fence on that um and yeah that i mean it does touch on you know the the effects of you know what happens when uh you know the the, the public turns on you uh but to me that's not the most interesting aspect of that that's that's part of it but the most interesting is you know how someone like you uh of, of lydia tar status you know gains this uh very you know overbearing like attitude that she's above everything and that, you know, she can just skate through life and, um, and just, you know, not, not to have any repercussions thereof of her actions or choices that she makes. Um, and you know, yeah, that's, and it's definitely a discussion that is apparent in, you know, our, you know, our current culture, you know, of how, you know, these huge, you know, whether that be a, uh, captains of industry or, you know, CEOs or political figures, whatnot, what have you, of how these people get an overinflated sense of themselves. And I think, uh, you know, uh, and this is uh, directed by Todd Fields, who, uh, uh, his first feature in uh, over a decade. Uh, and, and, uh, and it definitely seems like, uh, he's just sort of been waiting in the wings to sort of like do this sort of movie. And it, um, uh, too great a claim, and uh, yeah, definitely also one of my one of my picks for uh, favorite, and also and uh, also uh, you know we talk it's a common theme in our podcast about marketing uh, and how it's and. Uh, you know, the, the promo, I would have seen this movie regardless, but uh, I saw some promos of this, you know, before some of the movies that I saw, uh, you know, leading up to this. And uh, I, I didn't know what to think, honestly. Um, but it's one of those movies where you uh, that actually the promotional material is perfect because they they give like this way like. Um, I don't know, uh, pretentious sort of like feel about how everything's going to go down. And uh, it's, it's about this, you know, it's about art, you know, you know, capital a art, um, and then it's about artist and, uh, uh, you know, and it's about, you know, just, um, uh, the creative process and, you know, all the, you know, the machinations thereof, but it, it is, but that's not really what the movie is it's about. It's about, you know, this downfall of, uh, of, of this, you know, uh, you know, formerly well-regarded, uh, you know, uh, fictional, uh, figure, but, uh, yeah, we talk about, you know, sort of how to market your movie and I get, maybe that didn't like help out, you know, uh, get any new fans on board, but if you go back, it's, if you go back, uh, and look at the, the, all the trailers and all the, you know, the sort of, uh, uh, any sort of uh, posters, like uh, I think they did a very good job of, of saying that uh, you know how this um, uh, of uh, of this uh, the the idea of this movie. Well, they they marketed it, I think, in a way that I know initially I was like, mm, I don't know. It's, it looks like it's for the wine and cheese crowd, and the wine and cheese crowd aren't buying tickets, right? I mean, for the most part, the moviegoers are unfortunately you know teens to to mid to late twenties. Um, and those tend to not be the wine and cheese crowd. Um, so 
maybe they understood that I guess they were limited in terms of who's going to see the movie anyway. So let's just market it to that that group, hoping that it'll it'll build up some steam, some momentum, and and folks will not go to the opera but go see our movie. <laughs> I don't know, but um, I was thoroughly impressed with the movie, not knowing if I'd like it or not. Um, I, I I was kind of blown away by again by her performance in particular. Absolutely. And you're going to be hearing more about it, you know, come awards and contenders and, you know, that uh, that's definitely going. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, if the promotional material sort of scared you away, that this was going to be way, you know, uh, you know, esoteric and pretentious. I mean, there's some parts of it that are that are that. But overall, and there's actually there's a very sort of. I don't know, mean streak humor going on with sort of uh, that uh, sort of, uh, you know, poking holes in the in this uh, Lydia Tar, you know, b- uh, balloon that, uh, you know, uh, constantly just is uh, on the verge of just collapse. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely a great pick there, Mark. Uh, really uh, thoroughly enjoyed. And it's, it would uh, definitely be on my own. Uh, yeah. Just so just like everyone else here. Yeah. I didn't really have I don't really have a definitive ranking. I, I maybe have a number one as well. But um so these are all sort of like uh, sort of unranked. And just as I did last year, I think I'm going to try to do sort of a uh, uh, a pairing, a double feature between some of these in order to uh, get uh, get a, to talk about a few more. Um, <clears throat> and also good, uh, you know, good double bills. And I think I'll start off sort of on the um, uh, sort of on the, uh, you know, the, the, the movies that don't get a lot of, uh, you know, buzz or a, a lot of uh, box office returns, you know, the documentaries. Um, and in this case, uh, the, you know, uh, most uh, documentaries nowadays, they are uh, straight to streaming. They rarely get a theatrical run to really build up any sort of uh, uh, word of mouth or buzz. And they're kind of just plopped down on, you know, these platforms in order to um, uh, and given a little bit of, uh, you know, promotional um uh, on their sites, but uh, uh, the ones I, w- I, I want to sort of single out are Hold Your Fire and Descendant. Uh, Hold Your Fire is this fascinating documentary on um, sort of uh, this an incident that happened in uh, 1973 between a uh, uh, a holdup uh, in uh, Brooklyn that turns into the standoff between the NYPD and the uh, uh, and the people uh, robbing the uh, the the, uh, the uh, I think it was a grocery just a uh, corner store, and it uh, has since gone on to sort of be this model for how to handle sort of um, uh, these sort of situations, uh, you know, across you know nationwide with uh, you know, and it, of course you know we're having a ton of conversations about policing and so this uh, uh, and you know what is the uh, uh, correct way what, what are some of the ways to reform and uh this sort of shows a just this well not not the very beginnings of it but sort of like how uh you know um policy is sort of ingrained in uh uh policing and uh you know how the how it becomes procedure uh and it's a fascinating look and it even if you know like sort of the how this all played out in uh real life it's still a very tense sort of uh uh, retelling of the events and uh you know it, it has a lot to say about uh, you know um uh, where we are uh, right now with uh, uh, and uh uh and my other one is uh I, I don't believe it's on you'll find a streaming on other other place but uh the descendant is a netflix doc by uh, margaret brown it's by it's on a um it's on a uh, one of the last uh, slave ships, uh, you know, to America, discovered off the coast of Alabama, and uh, sort of the 
uh, and how it's uh, like sort of defined like this this small town in uh, you know off the coast where the uh, uh, the survivors, uh, most of them uh, slaves, uh, made it to the to the mainland, and uh, you know the um, the white sort of uh, plantation owners who sort of, who were profiting off of it, and it's a great um, it's a great the uh, sort of uh, delve into sort of you know painful history, uh, and you know we talked about emancipation earlier. Uh, this is yeah, this is another sort of uh, dive into sort of like how history is presented, and you know. Um, you know, and also not, and also, yeah. What what does you know? What, what do these? What what should we do with that information? Like, and it talk, goes into rep, uh, You know, what would be appropriate rep, uh, uh, reparations, and uh, what would be what is the way to present this like uh, sort of history in an appropriate way? You know, to honor uh, you know uh, you know this terrible history that uh, you know that is import that is ingrained in our you know in our country. Uh, it's a very um, it's yeah again it's one of the you know, both of these sort of were plopped down in their streaming services with very little fanfare uh but uh, definitely worth checking out and i hope that uh you know the these hidden gems uh get uh, more and more buzz yeah i haven't seen neither one but they sound really interesting i haven't really heard of them i, I think i did hear something about this in it but i'll definitely check both of those out and um i do have to catch them on, on tar uh i saw <clears throat> I saw some of it, and um, I saw it up to the um, the, the, the scene where she debates uh, another uh, a student over gender politics, and um, I didn't get like you know I just have to uh, go back and watch the rest of the film because I think it's pretty long, right? Uh, how, how long is Tar? Ooh, I don't know. It's like but... two and a half. It's yeah, two and a half hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, but the scene that you're talking about is a standout. One of the best scenes of last year. It's all done in. Uh, I don't know if they actually did it in one take or it's stitched together, but it's made to look like a one right. continuous uh, take. And it is, uh, yeah, it is a great uh, scene. I would say that, I know... that's one of the top two maybe scenes in the movie. Um, well, maybe three. But yeah, I really appreciated that scene. Yeah, one thing I noticed too is like films on my list um, that movies are getting longer nowadays, uh, over two hours because Emancipation is over two hours. And um, like this next film that I am going to mention is probably one of only ones that's an hour and a half. Um, and I noticed too, like a lot of top ten lists and or in our case favorites are more at the end of the year, but this one's more happened at the more towards the beginning of the year. We actually did a broadcast, a podcast on this film, and it's called Master. So it's a you know small film. It's streaming on Prime Video, and the reason why it's on my favorite list is because when I first saw it, I really didn't know what to make of it. So a lot of my favorites are films that. Um, that can watch multiple times and in many cases i most likely will like it better than i I liked it the previous time and master is definitely uh fits that category because when i first saw it uh, i didn't know what quite what to make of it because it is uh when you look on you know um when you look online is it you know the rating is like 5.2 out of 10 you know, so to me, uh, I thought that was kind of, I mean, for my personal taste, 
because it stuck with it stuck with me and that's like no this this film is much better than because like at first like i said when i didn't know what to think of it that's like is this a good film or not good but it's it stuck i said let me watch this again so uh, i definitely like it the second time around and um this is a film i could pretty much watch a third fourth time whatever but um yeah so it's directed by Mariama Diallo, and there is, uh, you know, uh, a slew of very talented African American women who are making films, and this is her film debut. You know, you have, um, you know, uh, uh, Lovecraft Country. You know, you know, done by African American uh, director writer. Uh, you got Queen of Slim, and you have just, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, the remake to Candyman. So you have some really talented uh, African-American women. And so if you don't know what the master's about, so you have this college and uh, there's this, uh, you know, this uh, freshman and she's in a room that supposedly there's this uh, um, kind of like, I guess, urban legend about a witch. So then you have the master. So she, you have uh, Regina Hall. She, so she's in charge of everything. You have another um, teacher, so it's like these three women. Um, they're, they're dealing with like a lot of microaggressions uh, on this university, uh, different levels. You know, uh, in terms of student, freshman student, master, and you know, uh, uh, professor. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it was it was it was very good mixture of uh, you know slight horror mystery. So I guess. What kind of threw me off, and because um, when you see the trailers, so maybe don't use a trailer because you're going to have a certain expectation, and then you watch it, and it turns out to be something a little bit different than you expect after watching the trailer. But um, I really, it's a like I said, an hour and a half uh, film, and I and I really encourage uh, people to check it out. It's if you know if you have Prime uh, Video. If I had not forgotten about that, it'd be on my list too. Thank you for reminding me about that one. I really appreciated that one too. Um, yeah, that that movie I've seen more than once, right? Uh, I streamed it more than I even showed snippets of it to my students. Um, it, it stuck with me. I can relate to some things in there, especially um, if you're a person of color in an environment where you're not in the majority. Um, and there's sometimes a little bit of... Um, socioeconomic uh, stratification at play there too um especially if you're in an environment that is uh at least perceived as being uh somewhat uh upper uh economic and you are either middle or or not that and, and on the same time you are a person of color i can relate to a lot of the things that were being touched upon in that movie uh extremely well done and as far as um ratings um when you Sometimes I think movies that touch a nerve like that are similar to books you might happen to check out on like Amazon, look at the ratings for books. If those books talk about something that's either political or racial, there'll be folks who didn't read the book chiming in to give a negative review because they don't want people to see um, that that book um, is as impactful and powerful as it is. I think that applies to this movie as well, because I think for some people, it probably struck a nerve, made them feel uncomfortable. And as a result, they might have given it some negative ratings. Um, 
I, I think, unfortunately, that, that's a way that sometimes people sabotage things that can be seen as somewhat racial or, or political um, in entertainment by giving them negative uh, reviews. Yep, we talked about this uh, early last year, I think, and I still stand by it as one of our best shows. Uh, you know, I hope we uh, spotlighted this, you know, that, you know, is hiding on that Amazon Prime streaming catalog of uh, all these movies that they drop with very little, you know, promotion or, you know, and they really, really need a good word of mouth in order to, and I hope we uh, provided that because yeah, it is definitely a great little hidden gem uh, that's waiting for you. Um, we, again, we have a whole podcast on it talking about it that really delves into it. Uh, it's best that you watch the, uh, the movie beforehand, uh, you know, because we do, we really delve into, you know, everything that went on. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you there. It's de would definitely be on my list as well. Um, this just nice little thriller, well, psychological thriller that really like delves into sort of yeah, the microaggressions and, uh, you know, the, the, the pitfalls that, uh, of higher academia, you know, of these ivory tower institutions that are supposed to be, or trying to be, you know, more inclusive, uh, at least, you know, uh, presently, but, um, yeah, definitely, uh, uh, definitely one of my, uh, probably, yeah, my favorite horror movie of, uh, of the past year. Uh, just this little um, uh, movie that hopefully will uh, gain an audience in the coming years. And the thing is, you mentioned horror. For me, yes, it has the horror elements to it, and you can, yeah, you can call it a horror. But the, I think what's most horrific is not like buzz about um, a supposed witch or you know whatever's happening or not happening to a painting in that movie, or whatever. The, the the horror is what it's like to be a person who's in a space where you think you're not wanted and that, you know, um, un, I don't know, unwarranted um, vitriol or animosity toward you can make you feel unsafe, physically unsafe. Um, and the ways in which one of the characters, the Regina Hall character is willing at times to contort herself into something that's not herself is the scariest thing. And, and, and at some point she just says, you know, what the hell with this, you know, so that's not giving away too much, but you know, that's the scary part is the fact you, you know, people feel compelled to to shape shift into something that that is that is um palatable to a dominant group that's the, the the thing that for me is the scariest thing is that people are so willing to do those kind of things but anyway um that's excellent 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 my next one since we're on something that's streaming and also p backing off of uh jc with the documentary i'll say that on netflix there's a documentary that for me i've seen more than once i've, I've shown to some of my students and shown to my parents i was just re-watching it again the other day because i want to use it in a class coming up um but it's called who we are um and it's it's uh actually um it's almost like a one-man show combined with historical um documents um it's jeffrey robinson is, is a lawyer who has been um trying cases for almost 50 years and all of a sudden he's uh, a parent uh his sister uh dies and he ends up taking in his orphan nephew um and he realizes that this orphan nephew who, who um is uh, multi-racial is phenotypically black the world will see him as black and he has to teach his his nephew what it means to be black in this world that may not uh, embrace who you are. And he ends up 
Um, though he claims to be highly educated, having degrees from a number of prestigious universities, he ends up um, bumping into historical facts he never knew, and he was never taught at these universities around, you know, um, what it means to be black and some of the laws that are put in place to restrict social mobility of black folk and even mobility physically on the planet by, by uh, having laws that allowed for the killing of black folk without uh, any punishment, without any punishment, with impunity. Um, so, um, yeah, it's worthwhile. The two-hour documentary on Netflix where he chronicles uh, the history of racism in this country uh, through a legal lens. And I know it sounds boring to about the legal lens, but believe you me, this is something worth watching. You watch 10 minutes of it, you'll be hooked and watch the whole thing. So who we are, um, Jeffrey Robinson. Yeah, I know it's uh, it comes on, you know, sort of when you open up a, a streaming uh, app. Uh, yeah, it comes sort of a, it was on the at least sometimes on the front page on Netflix when you open it up. But uh, yeah, I've, I wish I could have, uh, 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 you know, taken a, given this a watch. But uh, yeah, after your glowing recommendation, we'll definitely try to fit it in um, in order to uh, in order to really, uh, you know, give uh, um in order to really get a better idea of it. But uh, be, yeah, again, um, you, you, we talk about it a lot with, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, some of these movies are hard to, to market, I guess, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, there, there really should be a way to, um, you know, properly, uh, you know, promote these, these works in order to, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, and hopefully, you know, all these ones that we've uh, pointed out did find an audience, uh, you know, in order to, uh, sort of, um, make sure that they, this, uh, that things like these are, are, are keep getting made. How about, uh, yeah, since, uh, uh, we've done some, a few heavy movies, uh, there, so I can go a little bit lighter, at least with my picks. Uh, let's do, uh, I'll call this uh, growing up animated, uh, and it's uh, two movies by um, uh, one established filmmaker and uh, one uh, one who was a. Uh, this is their debut. It is uh, Apollo Ten and a Half and uh, Turning Red. Uh, so Apollo Ten and a Half is another Netflix, uh, <laughs> another Netflix joint, uh, but but uh, another Netflix release. Uh, but uh, but this is by Richard Linklater, and if you know him, if you love his works, uh, you'll love this. This is sort of a loving portrait of him growing up in the uh, uh, Greater Austin area in the space age uh, during um, uh, when uh, during the uh, space race between uh, the Soviet Union and the United States. And uh, how he imagines himself, you know, being a part of that, you know, but as a uh, as a young kid, and um, uh, it's a definitely a it's very much in his style. This is a rotoscope sort of uh, sort of animation, so there's uh, uh, it's sort of lifelike, but uh, at the same time, there's uh, it's sort of a traced over with uh, animation uh, to great effect. And if you if you know Richard Linklater, you know he's done this in the past, and I think this is a better. Uh, version of uh, of that uh, rotoscoping animation, and Turning Red was a uh, early release uh, this year by Pixar, um, by uh, uh, Domi Shi. Uh, for those, uh, she did the short uh, Bow, uh, which won, I believe won you know best uh, animated short uh, you know a few years ago. Um, but this is her first feature debut, and um, it's it's great. Uh, it's about um, uh, 
It's about uh, a 13-year-old girl, May, who's growing up in uh, the Toronto area, uh, circa you know early 2000s, and uh, you know she's uh, growing into uh, her teenage years and uh, all the stuff that comes with puberty. Puberty, you know, sort of um, manifested in the form of her turning into a red panda. Uh, I'm sure if you've seen you know, sort of the the poster or promotional material, you see how um, uh, you see how cute the um, uh, the the her um, uh, her, her her red panda form is, uh, and yeah, I mean it works as a metaphor for sort of uh, girlhood and uh, you know burgeoning adulthood and, and all that. Uh, but it re- also really works as uh, um, as a family drama that uh, really ties in sort of uh, the ideas of you know uh, uh, the immigrant experience, uh, you know, uh, uh, of uh, you know family expectations and you know the differing uh, the. Uh, the differences between generations and, and, and a lot of other sort of uh, um, a lot of other sort of uh, themes that uh, delve around family and all the uh, sort of uh, uh, you know messiness that can uh, that can come from that. Uh, so two very uh, uh, very great uh, you know animated works about growing up and uh, uh, very highly recommended. Yeah, uh, I've been hearing a lot about uh, that film, and um, I did start. Uh, watching Apollo 10 and a half and I like what I saw. I just have to go back and um, just finish watching that. And I do have an animation. I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Uh, I want to throw an animation in there. But for now, uh, <clears throat> my next film is um, probably not on a lot of people's uh, top 10 or top favorites. But this is also on the lighter side, so to speak, in terms of, you know, topic. And it's under two hours. This one's under two hours, but it's Violent Night. Now, (laughs) I know this probably didn't make a lot of... I put it on there because I had a lot of fun watching it. And at first, I thought it was a horror film, but it turns out uh, a mashup of uh, basically Die Hard and Home Alone and probably some other stuff that you can... um, you know, uh, notice uh, when you watch it. And it was just so different and fun uh, to watch. And, um, you know, it's it's, it's kind of like a mashup of all these genres and it was done very well. Uh, you probably throw some John Wick in there or maybe, you know, but, um, and, and I think that's a, a lot of people uh, are feeling that nowadays, how like you have these uh, mixture of genres, a mashup of genres. Uh, even the master, what we talked about is, uh, you know, pretty much with uh, John, excuse me, Jordan Poole, he, excuse me, uh, Jordan Peele, excuse me. He uh, started this whole social commentary slash horror. So people are really enjoying this mashup of uh, genres. So, I mean, uh, it, it was it was never boring. It's it was completely entertaining, and it was actually surprising. It, it, it snuck up on you. I, I, you know, what made me want to watch? I saw the, a poster, the you know, the poster, and that, that was it. I don't even think I seen the trailer. I said, let me let's let's go check it out. But I did hear a lot of people liking it, so I said, I definitely gotta see it now. So I definitely recommend it. And it's still in theaters. You can rent it. It's kind of expensive right now, um, so. Um, but I believe it's still in theaters. So uh, this is definitely a film that I'll, I'll watch 
you know, every Christmas. So, yep. So that's yeah, my pick. I definitely enjoyed Violent Night. We did the podcast on it. Um, a lot of fun, um, especially if you're in the Bah Humbug crowd like I am. And, and most of the time, not wanting to see some more sappy uh, Christmas stuff. Um, I, I think that this is a movie that uh, definitely uh, should become, at least for me, uh, kind of a Christmas classic only because it is uh, a break from the sappy um in, in in the vein uh, of a, a bad santa in that regard just like you know um irreverent at times um santa claus is not seen as uh just the jolly old you know elf or whatever um and the guy who's gonna bring you know goodwill and toys to everybody yeah he's he's jaded and i think a lot of us feel around the holiday times a little bit jaded too about the over um commercialization of it and I, and, and uh because of that i i, I see this film as being um a palate cleanser for all the the uh, the sappy sweet stuff that's out there that time of the year so yeah thanks so much for that that offering because i i agree it's definitely worth a watch for those who've not seen it so the the next movie on my list is one that i had a hard time i was struggling whether or not i would go check it out because you know being somewhat of a history buff um i have kind of recognized a certain pattern within the uh, film industry, and that is to create either biopics or historical dramas that take a lot of creative license that are kind of based on true stories, but have a whole lot of fiction in them. So much so that there's some films I've talked about in the past that are much more fiction than they are fact. And the only thing that is factual about them is the name of the person, maybe the place that they happen to be in and the era. But beyond that, everything else ends up being um, a whole lot of fiction um, to the extent that I think um, this is my own little conspiracy theory, so I'll put my tin foil hat on. But um, to the extent that I think that some are are intentionally trying to change uh, the historical narratives of characters or events um, for a number of reasons, which I won't get into. <laughs> I think changing demographics is one of those things. But anyway, um, yeah. But so I fought tooth and nail. I, I did eventually after hearing, you know, 10, 15 people say, "Go check this out." I saw it, um, and that is the Woman King. Right. Uh, the Woman King is a movie that I appreciate as a film, but I recognize does not have anything in the way of historical accuracy in it. And I was fighting the whole time. You know, I was watching and say, oh, no, no, because I, I know the story of the, the Dahomey um, uh, and um, the female fighting force, the Akoji, uh, that that, that uh, was the basis for uh, the fictional Dora Milaje and the fictional um, kind of Amazon um, Wonder Woman um, uh, nation and that 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 comic book, um, but the license that was taken in the movie, um, the Woman King, um, was frustrating. But I couldn't deny how enjoyable it was to watch the film. So, the Woman King is certainly worth watching. Uh, you can put aside. Um, a lot of the historical fiction and tell yourself this is merely a movie, which is hard for a historian like me to do, but I, I was able to, to uh, begrudgingly do that. So The Woman King is, is definitely one worth watching. And it also gives a counter narrative to what we've seen in terms of movies about Africans. Um, it shows them being powerful. It shows them, you know, being able to resist um, the colonial powers of Europe. And it shows that they, you know, uh, had, you know, intelligence and technology and methodology and and, and discipline uh, in ways that you don't often see in the movies that should be shown a lot more, that discipline, uh, the intelligence and technology. 
um, and leadership? Well, it was definitely well acted, um, well done from a technical standpoint. But uh, just like you said, you could put away, you know, your, uh, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it in terms of uh, all the historical, you know, um, inaccuracies. Even the title itself uh, pisses me off. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to, to like it. And it's just, I, I was surprised at, you know, um, the direction they went. And um, I hate using this word, but like that woke, socially woke uh, uh, agenda was there that, you know, kind of turned me off. But uh, I can see why a lot of people liked it, because in terms of if you could turn all that stuff off um, and just start, see it as like an action film, I could see why people liked it, because like I said, it was uh, <clears throat> well done in terms of, you know, technically, you know, good acting and you know um that that sort of thing uh so that's why i kind of stand on that on that film if you could have seen me i was like squirming in my seat i was having a hard time like uh i i I'm like no that's not true and i, I was and as much as i again i'll just go off on a little bit of a tent much as i hate um other kind of contemporary movies like harriet or the one that was done um about madam cj walker for all their inaccuracies um and let me just say this, beyond inaccuracies, the the lengths they took to uh, create uh, a drama or excitement on the screen was done at the detriment of, of, of facts. It was like the complete opposite of facts. They went the opposite direction. And some of that was done with this one, too, as well as um, some characterizations that I thought were mm, a little questionable in this movie. But uh, I just couldn't, you know, as much as I was hating I was like, I love hating. As much as I hate the inaccuracies, I'd say, you know what? I like the way that, you know, um, this is kind of put together technically. And, um, well, does the kind of positive uh, messaging around who Africans of this era were um, kind of warrant this being made? And I, I kind of struggled with that. Um, I still don't know if there's many movies, at least in the American uh, um, landscape or American theaters or cinema that, that depict Africans in a positive you know, light. Um, they're very few and far between. And it's almost like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make that very painful sacrifice in this movie. It was painful, though. I was squirming the whole time. But, uh, yeah, I, I can see how you, how you have that position, too, because I, 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 I waited a few months before I went to see this because I was trying not to see it, but I kept on, kept on hearing positive stuff, and I broke down. So I, I get both sides of it. Yeah, I, I mean, everything that is, uh, you know, sort of been said, and I, I agree, I, I really liked it too. But yeah, just as pure action popcorn entertainment, uh, Woman King. Um, <clears throat> yes, the, uh, you know, there's a, there's a huge sort of, uh, 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 sort of um, backlash of, you know, how, you know, involved the, uh, the Dahomey were actually involved in the slave trade, and if they actually were trying to um, uh, to break from that, and there's there's a huge sort of there there's endless amount of online articles you can sort of check out to sort of see the pick out uh, sort of the inaccuracies thereof. But yes, as pure sort of action entertainment, I, I it's definitely up there in terms of uh, just the, uh, the all the, uh, the 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 clashes and the the fight scenes. Uh, it definitely it's definitely worth it on that. And, but uh, yes, if you are very 
uh, stringent on how you want your history portrayed. Perhaps it, it, this isn't quite for you. Uh, but yes, as pure, you know, and again, we don't get a lot. Yeah, as Mark said, we don't get a lot. We don't get a lot of uh, stories about Africa, period, unless they're about, you know, lions, you know, <laughs> trying to uh, trying to retain their, their throne. We don't get a lot of uh, movies set in Africa and especially not during this time. So uh, it's definitely uh, unique in that end. Uh, but going from my so from my uh, list, um, let's see here. What can I do? Um, so I'll do sort of uh, uh, series uh, the series double feature. Uh, Ty West. How about yeah? Let's just do see a Ty West double feature of uh, X and Pearl. Uh, so X was this uh, nice little homage to Grindhouse thrillers from the seventies uh, about this. Uh, ragtag bunch of uh, filmmakers who are trying to set a porno in this uh, very um, rickety old uh, uh, ranch in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and uh, things go awry from there. And uh, Pearl is the surprising follow-up uh, to that uh, sort of delves into the backstory of one of the um, uh, of one of the slashers in X. And, uh, and of course the thing that has been talked about and, uh, certainly should get, uh, a lot of more claim is Amia Goss performance in Pearl, uh, definitely a standout, uh, sort of, um, role for her. And I think will lead to better things, uh, bigger and better things for her down the road. Uh, people have talked about, uh, the, the, the monologue scene, which is great. Uh, but it's also just throughout she's, um, uh, she has this uh, like uncanny ability to make you feel for this character who wasn't really much of a presence in the in X, um, and but uh, really uh, gets to flesh out this character and sort of make you understand like uh, the decisions uh, that she'll make, you know, fifty years down the road. Uh, so yes, uh, both X and Pearl, uh, great horror double feature, but uh, pretty different though. Uh, even though they're uh, you know prequel sequel. Uh, definitely both recommended yes definitely a treat uh both of them um as as we st- I stated in our podcast before i appreciate both films um i think if one of the two would get i guess some credit um artistically it might be pearl the, the latter of the two the prequel um however for me i had a lot more fun watching x um <clears throat> but definitely uh, a surprise not really expecting to see um these two great horror films in one year and what i will say is for me at least the greatest year of horror that i can remember um in my lifetime if somebody out there knows a better year for horror than 2022 please let me know um but there's a long list of uh worthy uh entries in the theater for for horror um but yeah those two are, are, are fantastic uh examples of what horror can be and the creativity um it doesn't even have to be completely um original because as you mentioned you know ty west you know he he does kind of pay pay homage to um 70s style horror movies with x um but again a lot of fun to watch and and um you know x was on my list as well okay so we talked about Pearl and X and uh, <clears throat> a couple podcasts, and um, I will say this: that um, I was wondering when uh, you know we're going to share uh, movies on our favorites, and this is the actually I was going to talk about Pearl next, but you beat me to it. 
And um, in terms of a double billing, um, I would definitely watch Pearl first and then X. I did like Pearl a lot more than X. Um, now, the last act of X, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it kind of threw me a little bit, you know, just due to, um, I just couldn't see an old lady, uh, you know, doing some of the violence, she, you know. Anyways, but uh, what I liked about Pearl, I just, love like you mentioned the monologues uh scene i think it was usually you can't have monologues that's frowned upon like happened that was very long but monologues but it was very powerful and well done i'm glad they were brave out there go ahead and um do that and even that last scene with they just had she was just staring into the camera uh so they were kind of like they were doing things that uh normally people say you shouldn't do but they did anyway and it, and it worked and in terms of hard uh 2022 um usually you know horror is looked down upon in terms of you know um the best of something like the best of 2022 or whatever year and um you know oscars and stuff they really horror that genre is not typically looked at as a high quality film, but there are there were quite a few. So I was wondering what which horror films were gonna make my uh top 10 uh top favorites, top 10 favorites. And Pearl kind of, you know, uh in, in terms of all the horror that came out, um, you know, because you had stuff like Smile and Barbarian, which both films I had uh I loved the first two thirds of the uh you know, uh, of the film, that last, you know, I guess that last act kind of uh, knocked it down a little bit, even though I liked uh, Smile a little bit more in terms of that wasn't. Anyways, so um, so Pearl, I liked it all the way through um, from, you know, the beginning scene all the way to the last scene. There was no, you know, pretty much disappointing act in, in this in this whole film and um i just liked i just like the the creativity they put into it uh kind of they may look like it you know the 50s and um I, I believe that was just the year they were portraying like um the whole scarecrow scene um i thought was interesting and uh yeah, so I, I'm I, that's on my 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 top ten favorites of 2022 as well. Uh, now for my my next pick is the menu. I saw this in the movie theater, and um, I just saw it. It's on HBO Max right now. So um, yeah, the menu is it's just I I just love the um. It was just so different, and, and and I think that's kind of like a common thread in 2022, where films are different. They, they you know, they're kind of going for something that you really wouldn't expect. Because we we uh, complain so much about sequels, sequels, you know, rehashing things that's been done before. So this was the year where, um, you know, things uh you know people were doing were a lot more creative and you know just a different flavor you know what i mean uh you know no pun intended with the menu but um 
the great performances um, all around, great cast, uh, great story. Um, you know, so yeah, definitely, you know, you have these group of people invited to this uh, isolated place, you know, where they're going to have um, this experience at a restaurant, hot going restaurant. Uh, that's what they call it. And, um, and there's, you know, he has every year we have these exclusive people and the artistry they put into the food and everything. I know that probably sounds boring, but um, I mean, just saying it, but when you, when you actually see the film, it's just, you know, it never lets up. So once things start happening, things just ratchet, ratchet up, ratchet up. And um, by the time you, you know, you get to the end of the film, it's like, wow, <laughs> your mind gets kind of blown away. So this is a film I could watch uh, over and over. Yep, the menu made my list too. I really appreciated it. Um, <clears throat> again, as you mentioned, what's, what's key for me was was originality. I haven't seen a film like that before. And um, I've been begging for a rich, more originality in, in, in movies and this one delivered. So I really appreciated it. Uh, the menu, I just rewatched it a, uh, a couple of days ago after seeing it in the theater. So to my wife, we, we watched it on TV, uh, on HBO Max, uh, where it's available right now, if you have that. Um, yeah, and Ray Fiennes does a wonderful uh, job uh, in this as the kind of uh, lead actor who is in some ways uh, mysterious, but his, what his intentions are somewhat mysterious. Um and yeah, you won't be disappointed if you're if you're a lover of kind of a, a suspense horror genre. Um, although it's almost like as much as it it's marketed as horror and it does have horror elements to it, it, it it's I don't know what, what to describe it as because it's it's a suspense thriller as well. Uh it's not purely horror. And that's that's again another marker, I think, as as Kenyatta mentioned before, this kind of mashup or this kind of a ambiguous genre where it has little elements of a, a number of different types of films in it. Um, that's one of these two. So maybe that's the future, I guess, of this wave of movies is to have these kind of mashups or or, or mixtures of style to appeal to multiple audiences at the same time, have its own flavor all its own. So yeah, the the menu is certainly one on my list as well. Um, let me see. Uh, on my list, uh, one that that uh, I think either you'll love it or you'll hate it. Uh, I I really love this movie. Um, some thought I've heard some criticisms that it was a little bit too ambitious and kind of all over the place. Uh, others really appreciated uh, again the originality of this film. Again, yet another original, and that is everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh. That you know, if you want to talk about multiverse and talk about uh, uh, I guess superhero multiverse, there's a multiverse or multiverses in this this movie. Uh, they'll blow your mind. Um, uh, long and short of it is, we've got Michelle Yeoh in a w wonderful role. It's great to see somebody uh, like her, who's as talented as she is, um, get opportunities. Especially, she she mentioned the other day she's 60 years old, and that's a rarity to have. You know, uh, a 60 year old lead a film. 
that is as unique as this. You're not just playing like someone's grandmother or playing this uh, the matriarch who's responding to, I guess, the male lead. She is the lead of this film. Uh, she carries the whole thing. Um, and she's able to be, well, multiple Michelle Yeohs. She's a, she's different and <laughs> she's more than one because uh, it's a multiverse. Uh, and you might think it's difficult to, to follow uh, with the multiverse, but it's not. Um, original, fun. I think it is somewhat lengthy, but that, that time flew by for me. I've heard some people say, say it's way too long. And there are moments where it might even pull at your heartstrings. So uh, definitely worth watching uh, everything, everywhere all at once don't let the mixed reviews that some have given it scare you away certainly don't do not let any uh, mixed reviews uh sort of uh steer you away from this but because this is definitely a gem 100 uh, with you and if i did want to uh, state a number one overall i would say this would be it uh this is well for one thing it's every it's almost every movie it's uh you know every genre and every single um uh, tone you can go with all in one yeah you know it's one-stop shop for your everything um, I was going to pair it with something, but maybe I'll mention it uh, later. But uh, yes, uh, Michelle Yeoh, this is uh, a role that's really gotten her a lot of acclaim, uh, decidedly so. Uh, you know, most uh, Western audiences know her, you know, when, uh, when she was uh, working with Jackie Chan in the 90s, but her career stretches back all the way into the 80s, even before that. So, uh, you know, having this sort of signature role uh, for, you know, and that's also not not just a 60 year old woman, but a woman of Asian descent, uh, which is uh, exceedingly also rarer. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, it's it's great to see. And it's not just, you know, uh, representation. It, it really delves into sort of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the character and what, uh, you know, uh, the character and what, she, the, uh, you know, what um, uh, what Evelyn uh, is, uh, you know, what she goes through on, on a daily basis, whether that's uh, the laundromat that she runs with her husband, uh, Kihei Kwan, who is also getting a lot of awards claim, uh, you know, having taken a sort of a hiatus from her, his uh, Temple of Doom days, um, that uh, a career hiatus uh, since the uh, yeah, since then, but um, uh, yeah, it, it uh, sort of. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people have remarked that you know the, uh, that uh, it does go sort of off the rails, and you know, it's too busy, it's too you know messy at times, um, and yeah, it is. But I also think there's a strong you know through line here about uh, you know her relationship with uh, Evelyn's relationship with her daughter, uh, played by Stephanie Shu, um, that uh, is really, and that's the the tug of the heartstrings that Mark was mentioning uh, there's definitely a lot of moments especially towards the end that really bring everything home you know um and definitely uh, yeah we mentioned it but definitely the better multiverse movie of the, of the, of the past year um hands down uh so yeah uh definitely uh, uh it's number one it would be number one in my book if i did a ranking and uh yeah definitely um uh definitely something to um definitely something to take over rather than uh you know uh, dr strange's take on the things uh okay how about let's do uh so my next uh picks are a uh mystery double feature uh decision to leave and uh glass onion uh so these are two very different movies but they are sort of uh in the mystery sort of genre um decision to leave is the latest by... um don't know decision to leave but it sounds like it's mystery don't spoil it for me on the. I won't. No, no, no. Oh, we're not doing any spoilers. No spoilers. No, we're not. We're we're just listing stuff, Mark. Yeah, All we're right. not doing do any spoilers. But I'll, I'll just say that decision to leave is the latest by Park Chan Wook of Old Boy, and uh, this is this is probably a little bit different than what you're expecting from. 
the um other uh, director of old boy this is a much more sort of grounded uh, uh you know uh sort of neo noir and uh it's a uh, it's a great sort of uh co-leads with um uh, by the the the, the uh, detective and the sort of the femme fatale that uh, comes into his uh comes into his world and uh sort of uh, takes over um and yeah, I, I'll, 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 I will, of course, won't spoil anything. But yeah, the uh, the turns that happen here are are very, uh, I wouldn't say surprising, but uh, they fit everything that uh, sort of uh, uh, the um, uh, that uh, Park Chan Wook is going for in terms of uh, you know sort of updating uh, this uh, the film noir genre into uh, you know uh, into our modern times. And Glass Onion is the sequel to Knives Out, uh, the latest from Ryan Johnson. Uh, this went uh, this had a limited theatrical run um, in uh, early December. Uh, or yeah, so, so then it uh, was released on a platform on Christmas Day. Um, and, uh, thankfully, you know, uh, it did get enough buzz because of the cast and, the the, uh, the Netflix push, uh, and it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, uh, I think worth your time, even if, uh, you weren't that biggest fan of a knives out, uh, I think the follow-up, uh, amps things up to another degree. Um, some of that might be because of the, the Netflix money that uh, Ryan Johnson is working with. Uh, but, uh, if you, uh, like. If you want to see more of uh, the exploits of Daniel Craig's uh, Benoit Blanc, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, you definitely should check it out. Uh, um, it's uh, definitely a fun time uh, all around. Yep, I would say Glass Onion is certainly a lot of fun. Um, I think what they, what uh, Ryan Johnson did with this movie is he increased, um, not to my liking, he increased the the silliness factor. There's a lot, a lot more silliness happening uh, in this one as opposed to the original Knives Out uh, movie. Um, some of it I appreciated. I think he went kind of over the top, but he had a little bit too much uh, in the silliness. Um, I don't know if that was a directive from from uh, Netflix you need to make this um, more accessible in some way. They're making it sillier, makes it more accessible. Um, don't know. Um, I'm hoping that the next uh, Knives Out movie, and there will be another one because Netflix paid for one. I'm hoping that one is more like the original Knives Out movie, uh, a little less silliness in it. But again, maybe it's the mashup again. Maybe it's the mystery and comedy. But but that's been done before too, like with uh, the old uh, Clue movie back in the, the 1980s. Uh, we have a murder mystery kind of comedy thing going on there. Uh, but I just wish there was a little bit less silliness in this one but i still did appreciate it. I've, I've seen it in the theaters and also seen it on at home on on the tv screen because it's a netflix property i i went that one week it was in the theaters <laughs> to check it out because uh, i didn't want the, the the mystery spoiled for me by anybody um but i i definitely uh appreciate it it's which is a little bit less uh silliness there um i did not see the other film i'm looking uh, forward to seeing decision to leave i'm happy you didn't spill any of the beans there I'll probably check that out today if I get a, a moment to do that. But um, mine, oh, Kenyatta, do you want to say something about those or, or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And plus I got to, you know, get my next one. But hey, I will hey. say, <clears throat> decisionally, I started to watch it. I think I have to go back. I didn't finish watching it. I think I have to go back because um, I, I guess I wasn't in my right main um, uh, mind frame to, to watch that. At the time I tried, so I'm gonna try again. 
and um but i did see glass onion um <clears throat> i do agree with mark i am a big fan of uh knives out the first one and i it was actually part of my top 10 when it came out of film so if you do a double billing you know what happened was uh when i saw glass onion i i, I eventually turned it off and um because what was throwing me off the tone of it was so much different from the first one so i guess i was expecting uh pretty much the sequel to that in terms of you know uh, matching tones and, and everything like that so it was kind of silly and everything but i said let me go back um and, and try to, f to finish all i think i seen i don't know like 40 45 minutes so i said let me try it again so i i tried it again and i actually the part that i didn't watch and i watched yesterday me you know i even uh got to the point where i accepted the silly i thought it was actually kind of funny you know after a while and um i end up enjoying it actually um <clears throat> so but it didn't uh make my list but um i would say it will be an honorable mention but i ultimately you know um i end up enjoying it i by giving it a chance and you know but like I said, at first it kind of drew me off. So I'm glad I revisited it. So my next film is actually number two on my list. I'm gonna, you know, there's uh, other films that came after this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump to my number two and I'll talk about the other ones later. But number two on my list is no, um, Jordan Peele. Um, I like his other films. I love Get, Get Out. I loved uh, Us, uh, so there was a lot of, you know, uh, different people. <laughs> you, you either love it or you hate it. Or I don't really see no in-between. And um, I just like Jordan Peele's, uh, you know, his filmmaker. I think he's a very excellent filmmaker. And um, I like his style, how, you know, I, I've actually seen this multiple times. and. Um, I knew the first time there was things that I, I don't, I didn't get, you know, things that kind of threw me off, but I trust Jordan Peele that it means something just learning from his other two films that I've seen. I've seen all of this, especially us. I've seen that multiple times. I actually saw that twice in movie theater. Usually I don't see films multiple times in the theater and um, us was definitely one of them. And I noticed every time I watched, I it kept catching things that I didn't see the previous time. And um, the same thing rang, tr rang true with Nope. I was catching things that I didn't catch the first time. So I, I seen about three times uh, at this point. And um, the only thing that I really kind of threw me off, the, especially the first time was the um, what the creature looked like. But, you know, I'm trying not to do spoilers, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people saw it by now. But I would definitely highly recommend this, especially if you liked his other two films. Um, if you haven't seen it at all, I think Nope is, is a good place to start um, or, or get out, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the performances. I just, you know, um, I like the complexity of it. I know some people don't want to think that much when they come, when they go to films, uh, but this is definitely, you know, uh, you know, his style, he's so immersed in symbolism and 
things that seem that don't seem like it means anything, but when you upon uh, repeated viewings, you be like, "Oh, it did mean something," or or you might even see it like early in the film. What does that mean? And later on, you're like, "Oh, it did mean something." So, um, with with Jordan Peele film, you have to pay attention to everything. Yeah, I'll say for me, that's that's probably my number two as well. I was going to mention this one next. You jumped, you got two before I did. Um, and I've seen this multiple times in the theater as well. I saw it twice in the theater. Um, the first time I watched it in the theater um, was on the day after it came out. Um, IMAX uh, theater. I was home in Detroit. I checked it out there with my wife and uh, I had my tickets in advance. I, I bought them before I, I went my trip from Massachusetts to, to Michigan. And I was like, uh, that that was for me the most highly anticipated movie of the year. And for that reason, and for the certain expectations I had of it, even though I had not seen any trailers, I've done my best to avoid like any trailer. I was ducking and dodging like when when certain uh, they say high melanin activation periods of TV when black folks watch certain channels, uh, basketball games or whatever. I'm turning it off the, the TV during commercials because I don't want to see anything about Nope. I knew that if I'd seen anything, it might, it might spoil the movie for me. So I walked into Nope wanting to love it, and I wasn't quite sure what I'd seen when I walked out of it. And I even heard people leaving the theater say, what in the hell was that? So initially, and I was just thinking like, hmm, you know, moments after watching the movie, I was not satisfied. Three hours later, it had changed in my mind what the movie was. A day later, even more appreciation. So as time elapsed, the more appreciation that I had for the film was just reflecting back on things that happened, making connections, right? So it's one of those things that if you ask me as I'm walking out the theater, I would say, oh, I'm disappointed. But now, you know, especially if you're seeing it a second time, uh, yeah, that movie makes you think and makes you reflect. Um, there's symbolism. Um, there's um, little tricks he uses, uh, auditory tricks he uses uh, in the movie. I'm not going to spill beans about how he uses audio uh, in the movie. Um, and it, it it it's amazing because there's some parallels in that film um, that are made that it, to, upon first viewing, you may or may not pick up um, the idea of being um, a, a person being a spectacle or a person being uh, exploited and parallels with that. And, well, the creature or UFO or whatever in this movie uh, being kind of seen in the same light. And it, it, it's worth watching multiple times. I would say if you've seen this movie and don't like it, I'd say watch it again. And then tell me if you still don't like it, because a lot of folks I've talked to hate the movie. And it's because I think they have not tried to make some connections that Peel wanted you to, to make or you didn't pick up on the Easter eggs that he had in it. And I'll make it, uh, you know, three votes uh, for Nope. Uh, yeah, definitely would be on my list as well. Um, you know, so few movies these days, you know, live up to the hype and expectation and, uh, yeah, nope, uh, met all those. Um, uh, this is, uh, sort of, uh, Jordan Peele's opening, uh, you know, opening up to, you know, the, the, you know, much bigger sort of, uh, grander, um, you know, filmmaking and, uh, he translates, uh, all his talents very well. Um, this, yeah, this is, you know, I mean, 
it's it's a, it was marketed as the you know the Jordan Peele mystery box and you know they'll get all of us in you know the seats but uh, uh, now uh, I think now that uh, Jordan Peele is such a name that uh, you know just as uh, you know just as uh, uh, credit can uh, get people in and make this uh, a hit and it was a hit thankfully uh, I think on some terms um, but um, yeah definitely a um, a great uh, sort of throwback, sort of uh, just um, uh, th- uh, well, I don't want. Should I get well? I, I'll just say alien invasion throw, but I won't say exactly what uh, what the, that that entails. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a good throwback to if you're a fan of uh, you know Close Encounters or ET or. Um, any one of those sort of uh, this is uh, this is a sort of a modern update of all that, um, and I'll also say that uh, uh, the uh, they sort of an, uh, invented a new pioneering technique for uh, day for night that is uh, gorgeous to look at. I'm sure this must have looked great on an IMAX screen, um, but uh, it looks great on any sort of screen. The uh, pioneering technique to really. Uh, uh, you know, uh, find a way to film in the dark and, you know, make, sh- you know, uh, make sure that all the detail is still there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for all the love that Avatar is getting, you know, for uh, its special effects, I think the VFX on uh, Nope are also just as, right up there, if not more so, in terms of pioneering a sort of new technique for uh, day for night and uh, filming in, uh, you know, total darkness. And and just to throw out that, we did podcast on so people could check that out for further details. Yeah, I'm with you on the technical aspect, too, because you have to understand, I mean, yes, Avatar, groundbreaking. Uh, Cameron spent years, you know, trying to figure out how to uh, capture everything he did in in the latest Avatar movie. Um, I'm not going to knock him for that. I will say that maybe it's not my place to say it because I'm not really a filmmaker, but um, that is almost entirely seemingly CGI, right? And, you know, there's obviously CGI within Nope as well, but you also have, you know, in many cases, real actors um, in the flesh being shot under certain types of light to to mimic nighttime, right? Um, and it, I think it's much harder to to capture real people and, and, and animals and, and, and structures in nighttime um, and pioneer a new lighting technique than it is to kind of do animation uh, CGI style. So, yeah, I think he should get some credit in terms of, you know, VFX. I'm sure that the Avatar will win the the Oscar probably for that. And and I'm hoping that Nope gets um, some attention, though, but because it, it certainly deserves it in terms of that technical aspect. And, you know, one thing, you know, it's, you mentioned Close Encounters. Yes, E.T., yes. Um, but Jaws, this is Jaws in the sky. We kind of mentioned that, too, in terms of the, of the podcast before. Um yeah, I can't say enough about Nope, but I'm sure the next time I watch, I'll catch something else I didn't see because he does such a great job of weaving in so many little uh, tiny details that that matter um, that, you know, I'm wondering how long it takes him to kind of put together this puzzle, right? He's got these puzzle pieces and they have to all kind of fit together in a certain way and fit together in such a way that you don't necessarily pick up on it the first time. I'd like, I'd like to see his process in terms of making his films with that regard of little details because I find it fascinating. Did you oh, want to go, Mark? Yeah, oh. here. Okay, go ahead. Oh, sorry, yeah. I was, I was lost in note. It was, it was my next one, so that's why I was like, oh, okay, I didn't mention it. Can you have to mention it? Um, one film that was also mentioned um, is um, Barbarian. I really enjoyed Barbarian. 
Um, I know Kenyatta mentioned like liking two thirds, I think, of it. Uh, for me, it was more than that. It was like I liked all of it except for the last 10 minutes. So, um, yeah, again, I think another original piece. Um, and because I'm thinking, I was thinking at the time when I was watching it that, you know, this movie, because it's being released in, um, what was it mid, mid to early, um, it is mid, uh, 2022, it was probably shot during, of course, the height of COVID and, you know, making movies, uh, during the, the height of COVID, you had to be kind of, kind of creative. And one thing they did was they made this film with very few, you know, actors in it and, um, um, and sometimes kind of confined to like a one space. Um, a lot of it happens inside of a house. Um, and I just love the the misdirection early on that they they use um, in this film. And I really love the even the backstory of the location. They, they during one point they 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 jump to like um, what the origins of this house was or who the earlier inhabitants were. And that was interesting. I, I love the, the kind of change in pace and direction when they, they bring in the Justin Long character who often, you know, he's, I find it to be somewhat kind of irritating that, that, that actor, but um, in this role, he, he brings some levity um, to this movie at a time when it was needed. It's a change of pace. I really appreciated that as well. So yeah, I really appreciated Barbarian. It's on my list again in a banner year for horror. Um, it's not quite at the level of a uh, the, the Ty West movies, but it, it's still you know uh, worth watching um, in a, a banner year for horror. So Barbarian's next on my list. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess I I responded to the ending a lot better than uh, everybody else here. Uh, I do think it's a great, nice little thriller. I'm, I'm glad that uh, HBO Max dropped it on their streaming platform so that uh, more people can see it. And uh, um, it's a, yeah, just a nice, like uh, very, uh, very great uh, thriller that uh, you know has has a little bit more to say about uh, uh, you know uh, sort of um, things, not in an overt way or anything. It's very subtle about how it goes about itself. And if you you know if you're not picking up in any of sort of the the themes or anything, it's just a great, nice. Um, uh, hundred minute or so thriller that uh, you know that does have some good surprising scares. So, um, but my next picks, okay, well, all right, well, I'm going to call this one sort of uh, you know politically relevant. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if you don't, uh, if you're tired of Paul, that you're you're free to skip ahead in this, uh, you know, hear me talking. But I'm going to do a double feature of. Uh, a little uh, movie from uh, over from France called Happening and The Janes, which was um, an HBO documentary. Uh, so both of these do have to do with the reproductive rights and sort of, um, you know, how the um, and how women have gone about sort of uh, dealing with uh, um anti-abortion laws you know not not just not just domestically here as is you know sort of a relevant conversation uh you know stateside but also you know worldwide uh even in you know some any uh, a country that uh, you know we think of as really being um open-minded and uh, liberated as france uh, you know in the 60s that was not the case and uh it just goes to show that uh, uh you know these uh, sensibilities and um uh, outdated laws are, you know, that uh, they have their roots um, in, uh, you know, a, a a mindset that really just isn't uh, uh, a, a 
the really just this doesn't uh, gel with uh, current sensibilities. Uh, let's put it that way. But anyway, the Janes is a uh, documentary about um, a group of women uh, in uh, Chicago that uh, performed uh, legal abortions at the time uh, for uh, for women that didn't really have access to it. You know, you could. And again, it's a relevant conversation that uh, you know the access to uh, uh, to the access to healthcare uh, in this country, but um, again, yeah, these are very. It's a it's a very thrilling talk about you know that uh, of you know sometimes a civil disobedience that uh, you know the, the we're having a lot of conversations about who gets to make the laws and who is really like uh, benefits from all these and uh, something that should be uh, in uh, an equal society, but uh, that has, has been pointing out many 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 times uh, that is not the case. Uh, uh, certainly not back in the 70s and certainly not uh, in the current times. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, politically relevant, if you uh, if you want to skip those, you're free to. But I think the, these will both work however side of the fence you fall on uh, in terms of the, um, the uh, reproductive rights. I'll say this, you know, um, <laughs> the Boston area tends to have a lot of um, – independent or smaller movies uh featured in some of the, the smaller theaters in, around the area however i don't live in like, very close to boston and i might as well be in dubuque iowa because i don't have access to some of these smaller uh gems um and I, that's one thing i really do uh get frustrated by is not having some of the access to some of these films i have to make a concerted effort to 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 uh, venture into Boston to see something um, that's often a limited release on a small screen. So, sorry, I missed the first one. The second one I've not seen either, but I will check it out um, on on Netflix. You said right, streaming service. Netflix. Oh no, HBO Max. HBO Max. Max yeah. I got that, so I'll watch it on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for letting me know about that one. Um, mm -hmm. But the first one, I regretfully, I, uh, I've not had a chance to see it. Uh, didn't even know it existed. Um, and that's, I think, based upon where I am. I think in in this area far from those kind of independent or small theaters, unfortunately. Right. But again, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, streaming platforms equalize that out. Uh, yeah. Happening is available. Yeah. On sort of your streaming platforms for rental. Uh, I don't know if it'll come on any of the, you know, big uh, streamers uh, just to stream for free, but yeah, both of them. Yeah. As I said, politically relevant, uh, you know, uh, however side of the fence you fall on, uh, you know, you're free to give it a watch and, uh, you know, draw your own sort of um, draw your own sort of conclusions thereof. You know, I'm going to jump to my number one film. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if it's going to surprise anybody, but um, this film is by, I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to say what it is. It's the Batman. Um, Matt Reeves, uh, I, I just love everything he has done so far. I mean, Let Me In, I loved it. The um, trilogy of Planet of the Apes. I'm, I'm not sure if he did the first one, but he definitely did War and Dawn. Uh, love Cloverfield. I love what he did with, uh, you know, the Batman. Uh, I was wondering how Mr. Patterson, uh, uh, Patterson was going to do, uh, Robert Patterson was going to do in this role. He did actually a good job. And um, I mean, it, it was a good-looking film. Uh, it, the Penguin, uh, Colin Farrell, uh, he did the makeup was excellent. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Uh, I love 
uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz uh, as you know Cat Catwoman. She did a good job. One of my favorite Catwoman woman uh, portrayals uh, in the Batman. I, well, I can't speak for the animation because I, I haven't seen a whole bunch of those. But uh, in terms of the films, definitely uh, up there, uh, even including the TV show. And um, I just love everything, that, like the tone and everything. I know it's uh, pretty, it was like almost three hours long. I'm surprised when it, before it came out, I was like, oh, how's it going to, how's this? Let me tell you something. It just, I did not feel the three hours personally. And um, <clears throat> I know everybody talks about Dark Knight. It's, I loved it so much. I'm putting it up there. I'm like, I'm debating what do I like more, the Batman or the Dark Knight? I know that sounds probably, you know, to some people blasphemous, but um, no, seriously, that's how much I, I liked it. And even uh, the Joker in terms of the character and, you know, the Dark Knight, I mean, just, you know, um, uh, that character just blew everyone away. And I think the Riddler was a, a very formidable uh, nemesis. I mean, I think, I mean, we've talked about genres before, and it's like, it felt like, a, you know, Batman meets seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it had that seven tone to it, and which, you know, I love seven. Uh, David Fincher, uh, I like, you know, that's one of my favorite horror films um, that came out that year. And um, I mean, I can't say it. It's on HBO Max, uh, just in case, uh, if, if you haven't seen it, if you want to know where you can see it. So you can see now HBO Max, of course, you can rent it on streaming and, you know, so on and so forth. It's on Blu-ray, uh, UHD. So um, <clears throat> definitely my favorite movie of 2022. And I'm looking forward to the, the sequel. I even like the um, the Batmobile was, was just wicked. So um, I just, there's so much I like about the film and, um, yeah, that's that's my number one film. Well, you know, you <laughs> must have looked at my list because that was the next one I was going to talk about uh, was the Batman. I appreciated it as well. Um, I didn't feel the three hour time uh, either. Um, I had some reservations about uh, Robert Pattinson, and and I was like, oh, as Batman, like really, like the glowing vampire from like Twilight is going to be Batman. I I couldn't see it, um, but again. Um, he won me over. Um, I would not um, put this in Dark Knight category. Um, for me personally, um, I would definitely put this above Dark Knight Rises and above Batman Begins. Um, so this for me is, is my second favorite of all Batman movies right behind the Dark Knight. Um, and I, I like the, the kind of reimagining uh, of both Gotham um and batman and his, his his adversaries um i liked the style of the movie uh I, I loved um from the very beginning how um it did have that as you mentioned kind of seven or kind of a mystery or suspense kind of movie again mashup style not simply comic book um and it was again uh, a wonderful departure from what we've seen in terms of um uh, comic book movies uh, i.e the marvel uh, movies and the Snyderverse kind of movies. This is in its own kind of area, um, kind of carved its own path in the same way that 
the Joker uh, Joker movie um, uh, carved its own path. Um, didn't seeming didn't seem to have um, connecting tissue to anything else. I think so much of what we're doing now with comic book movies is to create or to set up the next thing. Although I do know um, there will be, I think it's an HBO Max television series based upon Colin Farrell, uh, uh, Penguin character. Even though that I know that is the case, I didn't see the connective tissue. It wasn't obvious to me. They were setting something up. Uh, let the movies, you know, stand on their own. And if there, you know, are ways to connect other properties, good, do that. But um this one, thankfully, was not seemingly preoccupied with creating uh, uh, spinoffs during the, the process of making this movie with obvious kind of tie-ins and things that would follow. This would have been part of my uh, Colin Farrell double feature if I had uh, mentioned it first. But uh, yes, since uh, Kenyatta is it's Kenyatta's number one, this was an early pick for me as well for one of my favorites of the year. I they went back to the uh, sort of um, detective roots of the of the Dark Knight and uh, to great effect. Uh, Matt Reeves is, was a great choice for it, uh, and um, as was proven, Rob Pattinson was also a great choice for uh, for Bruce Wayne. Um, you know, I had known of, uh, you know, thankfully I had known that he wasn't just a sparkly vampire. I've seen his work, uh, you know, since then, and I knew that he could bring something to it. And I'm, uh, and even I was sort of, uh, you know, surprised at the, you know, the take that they went with. Uh, it's this, um, uh, uh, you know, he's not the, the playboy billionaire. He's uh, the, uh, you know, billionaire recluse. Uh, he's, uh, you know, the this very, you know, closed off and angry, um, just, um, uh, 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 crime fighter uh, who doesn't really understand like uh, his impact on what that he's having on you know the city that he's trying to you know ostensibly trying to save you know quote unquote and uh, yeah and uh, Kenyatta mentioned it uh, Paul Dano was excellent as the Joker uh, Joker <laughs> well we're gonna get him uh, we're gonna get him in, uh, the sequel but uh, for now we're gonna deal with the Riddler and uh, the, this is one of the like bleakest uh, and uh, just um, um, visceral sort of takes on the character that we hadn't seen. If this is not uh, Jim Carrey's uh, uh, Riddler, folks, yeah, this is definitely much more uh, uh, serial killers, uh, um, uh, just maniacal maniac uh, sort of uh, that um, is um, terrorizing Gotham. Uh, so that's a uh, yeah, th and this was a this was a great sort of uh, setup for this sort of uh, version of the of Batman. And uh, I can't wait, uh, like everyone else, I cannot wait until we return to this uh, version of Gotham, this rain-soaked, uh, just dreary Gotham uh, that um, that was uh, uh, given to us by uh, uh, Reeves and his team. Yeah, that's right. it for my list. That's oh, that's it for you? Okay. You say you had double billing, so of mm -hmm. Colin Farrell. So what was the? Oh yeah, one? that's right. I could do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There, there you go, Mark. You got it. Yep. This. So yeah, I'll pair Batman since we already talked about it with uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, this is the latest from Martin McDonough of uh, In Bruges, uh, Seven Psychopaths, and uh, Three Billboards uh, in Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, so this, he's a playwright that uh, has done a successful transition to uh, film work, and uh, this is. 
This is up there with maybe one of my favorites from him. Uh, he's reteaming with uh, Colin Farrell from In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths to great effect. Uh, this is uh, uh, this is making the rounds in the award circuit for Colin, and uh, rightfully so. This is probably one of his best performances. Uh, he gets to work off of uh, uh, Brendan Gleeson, and that's a great twofer. It's uh, okay. I won't. Uh, yeah, we're not again. We're not doing spoilers, so I'll just uh, say uh, sort of. Um, yeah, this is uh, very. Uh, it gives you a great sense of uh, <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, definitely put it in your HBO Max queues uh, if you haven't already seen it, uh, because yeah, this is definitely worth uh, checking out. Uh, it has a great sense of place. This very small community in uh, Ireland, uh, where two friends sort of have a falling out, and that's all. I'll I'll leave it at that. Uh, the uh, the everything that goes on from there, but uh, yeah, the as you know, I'm sure you've if you've been paying attention to the awards talk, you uh, you know about this movie very well. Uh, there's, I mean, the top billing are uh, Farrell and Gleason, but there's also Bear Keegan and Kerry Condon who also provide great supporting work. Um, and yeah, this is, I mean, I guess the the knock against this is yes, yeah. So I guess this does sometimes feel like a stage play. Uh, on screen, but I think here it works so well uh, just in the interactions between uh, especially, uh, the uh, the two main leads and uh, just the, the idea of how like uh, small this community is. It's not, it's very isolated and just very, um, very, uh, uh, very uh, cut off from uh, a lot of other things, uh, much of the world. Uh, and so, and uh, this relationship that we follow between these two guys uh, are very, are sort of our, um, uh, uh, provide sort of the, the, um, uh, the through line through uh, uh, into this sort of, uh, into this world uh, very well. Yeah, I, I did see it because, um, you know, all the buzz surrounding it. And Colin Farrell was great. And the weird guy, I just call him the weird guy. Um, he played, I can't think of the name of the actor. He played, he was a sick... Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Was that what the that... young guy you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I call yeah. him the weird guy. Okay. Well, I, thought, I thought he was, nobody really talks about him. I, I thought he was like, he was one of my favorite in, in the film, actually. I just thought he just did just such a great job. And I saw him in The Secret Killing a Deer. Um, so he just plays these really quirky characters very well. And, um, I just, I, you know, um, I'm surprised. I think the movie is about two hours, I believe two, a little bit over two hours, maybe. I'm just surprised that they took this idea, this idea. So it, it made, you know, uh, two, two, two plus hour film out of, out of this small idea. I did like the film. Um, it didn't quite make my uh my top 10 favorites but i did like it a lot and i'll probably feel different if i see it again um but i love how okay you have this you know friends once just decided i'm not gonna be your friend no more and him trying to figure out why and the way i just i just impressed how you just made a whole entire film just on that premise alone and um yeah i just i i really like the film and um i could see why a lot of people like why it made a lot of people's top 10 list and um very good performances all around now my i'm gonna do a double billing even though 
these two films have nothing to do with each other, but they, um, what they have in common, they're both the big tip-pole films. Um, one is um, Maverick, Top Gun Maverick. Now, <clears throat> I'm surprised I want to see this film because I, I hated Top Gun. To this, I still hate Top Gun. I do not like that film. So I don't know why I want to see Top Gun Maverick, but I guess it was maybe it was the buzz. I said, let me check this out. So, and it was one of those films I saw, I saw actually, I saw it two and a half times. And um, I liked the, I, the first time I liked it, it was definitely liked it better than the first one, right? And I, I didn't like it, but I didn't love it. But the second time, it's like oh yeah yeah so it's like i liked it better the second time so it was, you know that's like coming some of the common things in the films that that are on my list and i'm pretty sure if i saw it third time i would like it even more appreciate it even more but i just you know the you know the the, the action where it was filmed uh t tom cruise uh the depth of his character um i know uh the people look at tom cruise as this is action character nowadays because he does the Mission Impossible films and so on and so but to me I, I really like him as an actor even before all the action films he started making um, <clears throat> and um, yeah I mean it, it had me on the edge of my seat I mean the, the, the action so I'm you know you're in your chair you're grabbing the arms of your chair like you know you're on the edge so uh Definitely, uh, that's that's part one of my double bill and the other uh, blockbuster film. And blockbuster films, they really don't, you know, get to contention of, uh, you know, Oscars and Golden Globes and so on and so forth. But this actually, Top Gun was in, in, in those categories. They're mostly like special effects and editing and sound and all that kind of stuff. But the other one, um, it's also a sequel, and I liked it better than the first. I did like the first one, but I do like this better than the first one, which is Avatar 2, uh, The Way of Water. Uh, it's just a technical marvel uh, that it's not, it's unsurpassed. And the story is, is simple. I mean, I do have issues with it, and maybe we could do a podcast on it once everybody sees it. But, um, the action was like, oh, I mean, it's one of, I think it's like three hours and maybe 10, 15 minutes or so. And you did kind of feel a little bit, but, um, you know, uh, it, it, it probably would have uh, benefited from maybe trimming it down to two hours and a half or two hours and 45 minutes, maybe. But, um, <clears throat> Overall, I mean, uh, this is a film I could, I will definitely see it again. And um, I think it's mandatory that you see this in IMAX uh, 3D. Uh, it is perfect, it's, it's, it's exemplary. Uh, if you want to see a, a 3D, I've seen a movie in 3D, this film is just exemplary for, for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what else I could say? And we talk about mashups, you know, because the first one was like Dance with Wolves compared to, you know, you pair that with 
this, that, and other thing. And this is no different. Um, so I can't believe uh, there's going to be, I think part three is coming out next year. And, I, and they, they think they're already talking about, you know, around Christmas next year. And I'm hearing about four or five. I don't know what the hell is going to do after this. Um, but, you know, I, I know there's quite a bit of years between part one and two. And sometimes, so, and the, and the funny thing, that's another thing Top Gun has a common too. And there was a lot, the gap is even bigger between Top Gun one and, and two. So you have these two films, uh, you know, cost a lot of money and um, blockbuster films uh, with, uh, you know, all these years between part one and two, and they both surpassed the first one. So I think some people say they like first one better than, part two I'm talking about in terms of Avatar, but uh, that's not I'm not one of those people. So th- those are definitely on my on my list. Top Gun almost didn't make it until I saw it again. So yep. Well so you know I'll say this uh I've not seen Top Gun Maverick, but that's okay. I I just I just I saw the first Top Gun movie for the first time this year. So um <laughs> Maybe uh, in twenty plus years, I'll, I'll check out Top Gun Maverick based upon my my time schedule. But um, I did see uh, Avatar two uh, last night, yesterday evening, well afternoon. It felt like evening because it was so dark when I got out of the theater. But um, yeah, I'll say this: um, I had I did see the original Avatar in theater, um, and have not seen it since. And I did see this film um, in 3D in IMAX, visually stunning. There's no question about, you know, um, the degree to which um, Cameron took like all these years, all this effort to make sure that he had a groundbreaking film um, visually. Um, It is absolutely a marvel to watch uh, uh, the great detail um, in the 3D uh, and the crispness and um, just I was blown away uh, by the visuals. What I was not blown away by was the story so much that, um, you know, I I didn't give a shit, sorry, about the characters. I don't, I I didn't care about them at all. Right. I mean, and maybe it's because I had not seen the first one in such a long time that I I didn't recall that much about them. And one question, I I, I guess it doesn't spoil too much about Top Gun. I, I, when I watched the first Top Gun uh, this year, well, obviously, it felt kind of dated, but I think that was a um, Simpson-Bruckheimer production team that made that movie. Um, I could be wrong about that, but what was obvious to me about the first one was that there was an incredible amount of um, like hyper-patriotism in it. And rah-rah, I mean, for me, that's a turnoff. Like, any kind of nationalism for me not just for this nation, but for for anyone that's like hyper nationalistic. It's like a turnoff because I think it's a, it's a, it's a um a, a cheap um device used to get people to um feel something, right? Like this is about national pride, you know. So was that evident in this one as well? Was it like heavily into the nationalism or a recruitment tool for the navy? I mean, what, what was going on in this movie that made you feel uh, so excited and exhilarated? I mean, uh, I mean, it's still there in this one, but I mean, not to any extent as, you know, the, um, yeah, the, you know, Reagan era, you know, military, uh, military action picture. 
Uh, so yeah, they're definitely not anywhere near as close. I mean, yes, you'll still get, um, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, there's, uh, it's still there. It is, you know, um, I wouldn't say glowing about the, the air force, um, because, uh, uh, it does, uh, you know, portray some of the top brass as, um, you know, uh, not caring about the, the soldiers and just be caring about the, the results. And uh, uh, it doesn't matter, like, who lives or who dies. Um, yeah, but I will say, and I I wish we talked to, uh, about uh, Top but I'll just say about Top Gun, like, um, it's actually a mission this time. It's not, you know, hanging out with uh, the boys and, uh, you know, thinking that this is just, you know, a college for, you know, just uh, okay. military types. Yeah, this is an actual mission. There are stakes it's not just you know um uh you know posturing and you know getting in everybody's in charge of the faces uh you know and thinking that that's all what you know the, what the, uh, happens in the air force uh i mean it i mean but if, if you're talking about it's like completely scrubbed clean of any of that uh you know no it's not but uh, i mean i think they do a better job here but anyway yeah i i do think that uh i would have made this my blockbuster double feature uh, I I was not looking forward to either really. Um, uh, the the originals did not impress me that much. Um, yeah, the, the I think Top Gun, uh, you know, '86 is a nice little uh, time capsule of where we were at in uh, in terms of uh, at least in terms of movies uh, at that time. It, it, yeah, it, uh, but it uh, it's that really doesn't hold up all that well. Uh, but uh, Maverick uh, does everything that uh, you'd really want in order to update it, uh, you know, 30 years onward. Um, and yeah, but Kenyatta was mentioning it. Uh, all of the flight sequences are just remarkable, especially if you saw this in IMAX. Like uh, you really are just it's white knuckle action. You're gripping the armrests uh, at every single time. I don't know if it'll have the same effect in home viewing, but maybe if you have a good sound system. Uh, you crank it all the way up. Maybe it'll have a little bit of the effect. But in IMAX, yeah, it really was. You really did feel like you were in the, the cockpit with these uh, pilots. Um, and, you know, it's because of the way they filmed it. Uh, they actually did go up in the sky and then with the IMAX cameras and they filmed, uh, you know, they, they weren't actually flying the planes. They were in the backseat and letting the, the professionals uh, do their thing. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a different I mean, I guess you could have had the actors, you know, just go, you know, just acting all the uh, the G forces. But, uh, you know, seeing actual like. Uh, um, you know, physics on screen, you know, affecting them. I think that definitely makes uh, quite a bit of difference. So, yeah, uh, in Avatar, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it a lot in a coming podcast, but I'll quickly say, uh, yeah, the uh, first Avatar, uh, outstanding visuals and, uh, you know, the pioneering, you know, CGI techniques and uh, motion capturing and all that uh, story just falls completely flat. It's a uh, uh, it's a lot of um, uh, recycled material from you know other uh, movies. And uh, Jake Sully is not our the greatest sort of uh, character to empathize with in order to uh, you know carry us through this uh, story. Uh, and with uh, and thankfully with uh, the follow up Avatar Way of Water. Uh, they push him to sort of almost he's almost a secondary character, you know, especially by the halfway point. And the kids are, are his kids are on the forefront. And uh, I think that that was the right call. Um, nothing on, uh, you know, Sam Worthington's, you know, 
uh, you know, capabilities as a performer, but I, I think uh, he's better off as a uh, secondary uh, lead at least at the very least. Uh, but um, anyway, yeah, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more. It seems like we have a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, so I guess we'll talk about it in a future date. Uh, and I only want, I'll only mention one more thing before we take off uh, and, uh, you know, uh, close off uh, our 2022 um, list. I'll also mention because I just saw it yesterday in a theater. I'm so glad to see it. It was only on Netflix for, um uh, for a while uh, but uh, this is rrr this is the sort of the uh smash from uh, india that has really taken a lot of uh uh hold in a lot of uh you know critics and audiences hearts uh and i it's easy to see why this is uh, you know just like um the michelle yao movie uh this is every <laughs> this is almost every movie you can think of this is an action musical drama sort of there's a little bit of romantic comedy too in it uh there's of course uh dancing uh there's there's like there's everything you could ever want uh you know epic fight scenes and uh you know uh uh brutal you know depictions of colonialism like it, it's just everything you could possibly want in a, a three-hour you know uh batch of movie uh and uh, seeing this uh on a big screen with an audience that was re responding to every single punch and every single dust up and every single dance off sequence uh uh was definitely a thrill so yeah rr maybe my uh second uh pick for a second uh, best uh, pet after everything everywhere yeah i did i didn't see the whole thing it's one of those films it's like i believe it's three hours um <clears throat> i probably saw an hour and a half of it i love the the dance sequence um i don't think i liked as much as everybody else but it is it's you know it's definitely different and it i think it is worth seeing i think a lot of people like it um but i, I definitely have to finish watching it um you know but it was kind of lengthy for me but the parts i saw i i, I thought was i thought it was it, i thought it was cool it was cool um you know i didn't love it but i liked it and um i guess <clears throat> i think i i think i did name 10 I, I i don't know but i do have i would say maybe these are honorable more honorable mentions and um and i did like i said earlier i had an animation on there and this animation's on uh netflix is uh guillermo de Toro's uh pinocchio and uh watched it with the grandkids and um it's 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 pretty dark uh you know you know uh subject matter that he's dealing with so it's not it's 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 the pinocchio you know the typical pinocchio story with more uh of a twist with a darker twist to it and um and i, I you know when i was a, growing up as a kid loved the stop animation and I really am impressed by stop motion animation. It's like, and it, it was very well done. Um, <clears throat> I'm sitting here wondering, it's like, wow, this must be, I'm just impressed by the, the artist who, who, who's put this thing together like that. Um, but it just talks about some really deep uh, issues, uh, you know, subject matter, life and death and all this kind of stuff uh very very uh deep uh conversation maybe you know especially for children but um like the my, you know children enjoyed it uh the grandkids enjoyed it. it was between six and uh 11 and um 
you know, I might be deep for so I, you gotta know your, your child. So uh, maybe too deep for some, but I'm very, very impressed on 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 his take on on this classic uh, story. Yep, well, uh, I bet definitely. Well, I I won't speak for the other ones, but definitely at least uh, probably the better of the Pinocchio adaptations that we got uh, this this just this year. Um, yeah, I definitely uh, really liked it. Uh, um, yeah, Guillermo del Toro's sensibilities, you know, returning to sort of the ideas of um, of this fantasy set on a uh, you know fascist uh, background, um, you know, a la uh, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, but uh, yeah, updating the the time old tale to uh, you know to much better use than either I believe uh, the Disney Plus or the Polly Shore version. So <laughs> just going to mention that as like you know I haven't seen uh, this Guillermo Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, uh, his verse, his version, or his vision of Pinocchio. I did hear there's a Pauly Shore <laughs> Pinocchio. I have not seen, nor will I be seeing. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll look I, for. I second that. <laughs> if you just watch the trailer, I think you get the gist of the, that movie. <laughs> Is he playing the same damn character, the weasel, whatever he was back like back in the early nineties or whatever? And he's playing Pinocchio now. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh right. where can I find Del Toro's Pinocchio? Netflix. N- Netflix. All right, I'll, I'll check that one out too. Something else to watch. Great. Okay. Are we done? I think so. Yeah, we we went through a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else? Yeah. Okay. Are we nope, done? All right. Set. We hope we mention some of your own favorites from the past year, or we introduce you to some to put on your watch list for future viewing. We're going to Pandora with the Avatar movies next podcast. Be sure to cue us up then. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and on the platforms. You can support this podcast in the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I our virtual screenwriters forums by RSVPing on meetup.com and our Facebook. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, links are in the description. All the best in your writing, watching movie and streaming shows, and taking care of one another.